Well, this morning we're going to begin in Luke chapter, Luke chapter 9, look there and a couple other places. Before we do that, let us pray and let's ask that God would really minister to us this morning through his word. Father, we come before you now as your needy children, those who are hungry for you, who are in need of you, whether even we know it or not. And we look to you to feed us, to minister to us, and to help us, because we are incapable of any of that on our own. Anything we receive comes from your hand. All blessings are from your hand, all goodness. And anything we understand, anything we know, any of the building of our faith, any of the strengthening of our souls is from you. We look to you. Here we are, your needy children, and we ask that you would fill us. And we believe that you will because you've promised You'll minister to us. Grace is ours as we come to the throne of grace. So, Father, may we be believing this morning even as we receive, for we ask it in Christ. Amen. Have you ever noticed in life that if you continually choose short-term pleasures, it will result in long-term pain? For example, if you... If you choose the donut today, you're foregoing that healthy body you wish for tomorrow. But we can't have both, can we? We want the donut. We want, let's eat the do- We're trying to figure it out. How can I keep eating the donuts and get that healthy body that I've always wanted? And, you know, we always, we, tricks and schemes and plans and pills and whatever are being offered to us constantly. Because we're people who... We have troubles with this. Short-term pain for long-term gain is a game we don't like to play. We're trying, how can we get both? How can I have the pleasure for today and have all the rewards for tomorrow? You have to take one or the other. You can spend all your money today, you know. That's one of the things you can do. That's an option. And you'll have none for tomorrow. Or you can invest today and make sacrifices today and, and be pinched today in order to have an investment for the future, for tomorrow. It's constant this way. God has built it into creation. No matter what, we constantly are having to choose. And today, in this society in particular, you know, you're fed constantly from video, from Facebook to TV to you know, everywhere you go is like, have it now. Because everybody wants to sell you something. And in selling you something, what they want you to, sh- what stimulate in you is desire to have it now. You can't afford it. It doesn't matter. We've got this great financing plan. You can have it today. You're like, yeah, I can have it today. You're right, I can. And you know what? I can afford the minimum payment. This is a dream come true. And if you've ever done that, you've been bitten. And you know, that's not true. That's a lie. You can't, you got to choose. You either sacrifice a day and have it tomorrow, or you have it today and you sacrifice tomorrow. That's the way God made the world, and there's no getting out of it. Sorry, folks. That's the way it works. This morning, we're going to be talking about how God requires adjustments from us. 
When God reveals to us what it is he's calling us to do, it requires some adjustments. It requires some change. It requires that our lives actually experience some kind of pain in order that we can have the reward of his blessing and presence and power later. Because if we're not willing to sacrifice today, if we're not willing to make those adjustments today, if we're not willing to make the change today, we will not know God and experience God's blessing, presence, and power tomorrow. That's how it works. Because when you decide to follow God, here's what happens. One thing is certain. You cannot stay where you are. Can't. Something's got to give. If you're going to follow Jesus, he will require you make adjustments. When the disciples followed Jesus, what happened? What was required of them? Those were some significant adjustments. They gave up everything and followed him. Everything and follow him. And Jesus, in Luke chapter 9, Luke chapter 9, beginning at verse 23 and following, what does he say? He says, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? So Jesus is talking here again about pain and pleasure. You have to give up to gain. If you try to keep, you lose. And he makes it clear. To stay where you are and to follow him is not an option. You can't, you can't obey him. You can't follow him. You can't go after him and just think, yeah, and I'll just, everything in my life is going to stay the same. Because you know what? I like, what I like in my life is my comfortable routine. That brings me joy. That brings me peace. But Jesus is calling you to this. I know. I'm trying to figure this one out. How do I get both? You can't. You can't have both. He's, his, his call forces you to make a choice, and you can't stay where you are. The rich young ruler, as we had read for us this morning, didn't like how Jesus rolled. He didn't like it. This was not good, because here he wants to inherit eternal life, and he thinks he's going he's gonna to have it all. All he's waiting for Jesus to tell him is that, you know what, Well done, good and faithful servant. You got it. Pat him on the back, and that's what he wanted to hear. But he was unwilling to make the adjustments that Jesus called him to. He comes to us, comes to Jesus and asks how he must inherit eternal life, and Jesus tells him what he must do. And it's sell everything, give it to the poor, and come follow me. And what happened? He was confronted with a reality of change. You have to give up these things that you love. You have to give up these things, and you have to come. You have to follow me. And when he was confronted by that, was he, was he happy about that? No, it says he was sad. He became sad. Why? Because I love these riches. I love all that it is. I love all that it's given for me. I, I love everything it's done for me, and it's just it's too much. I just can't see it. And Jesus lets him walk away. And he walks away sad. 
And then Jesus makes a comment about this. And then he makes a comment about this in an age where, you know, that's different than our age. Because as I've stated many times, when the rich young ruler walks away sad, and when he's confused about, and especially when Jesus says this to his disciples, it's harder for a rich man to get into the kingdom of heaven than it is for a camel to enter through the eye of a needle. The disciples are bewildered. What? And how is it? You notice what they say after? Then how is it possible that anyone should be saved? Okay, this is how they're thinking. If the rich person can't get in, that's impossible. Step back. How can anyone? Now, why do they think that? Because in that culture, in that day, do you know what they equated rich and wealth with? The blessing of God. If anybody, if God smiled upon you, if God was with you, if God was blessing you, you have these riches. So if there was any sign that somebody was close to God, that somebody had God on their side, it was those wealthy people. And then Jesus makes a comment, it's more impossible uh, for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven than a camel to enter through an eye of a needle. They're, they're bewildered. But Jesus says to them, What's impossible with man is what? It's possible with God. Anybody entering into the kingdom of God, it's impossible for anybody. It's all a work of God. God must do it from beginning to end. But in doing this, you can't stay where you are. You can't remain where you are. Changes are in order if you're going to follow the Lord. And it means you can't. Remain with what you're doing and what you are and follow the Lord at the same time. Those things just don't work together. Of course, you can't stay. Here's an obvious one. You can't stay where you are if God calls you into a mission field. If he calls you to the mission field, you're not, you can't stay here. You've got to be here or there. You've got to move. But what about here? What about in our day-to-day lives? You also can't stay put. You can't stay where you are if you're going to grow in love for your family. You can't love your wife the way God has called you to do if you don't make some adjustments. Perhaps God is speaking speaking to you. And he's speaking to you about improving your marriage, about, about making some changes. Things need to change. I know I, Maybe it's just general in your mind. You think, man, I know I need to be a better husband. Or I know I need to be a better wife. And, and maybe God lay that, lays that on you. And yeah, 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 I know, but there's, it's, life is just too busy. But yet, what do we still do? We still turn on the TV. We still grab our bag of chips. We still sit there and veg out on the couch, and we still do our routine. Why? Well, that's enjoyable, isn't it? Watch a good program, have a good drink, some chips. You know, doesn't get better than that. Hang out for a while or whatever. We get caught up in something. Maybe, maybe what it is is that we have a hobby, or maybe what it is is that we, we're addicted to our work. But whatever it is, we usually make some kind of excuse or we, we make, give ourselves some kind of an explanation by why, for why we don't need to change. But maybe, just maybe, maybe we should make an adjustment. God calls us and you need to make a change, an adjustment. Maybe we should get off the couch, turn off the tea, put the TV, put the chips away, and actually pursue our wives, talk to our wives, help them. Seek to, seek to gain understanding and knowledge about them. Grow in our understanding of them. And what it means to be a husband. 
The blessings, the power, and the goodness of God all come to us when we follow his lead and make the adjustments we need to make. It doesn't come otherwise. If we don't make some adjustments to what we're currently doing, then nothing is going to change with what we're currently doing. You can pray, you can dream, you can wish all you want, but you have to make some adjustments if anything's going to change. As the saying goes, you probably heard this before, the definition of insanity is to keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. But I can't tell you how easy it is to get caught in that trap. Man, something's got to change. Man, this, we, something's really, we've got to do something here. But when that moment of conviction passes, we just go back to doing the same thing. So if we keep doing the same thing and we're not making any adjustments, we know God has called us to do something, but we're not changing anything, then there's a problem. We hope that things are going to change. We wish things would change. But are we willing to change? There's no way around it. If you're, gonna, if you're doing the same thing every day and you have established such a routine that you're becoming stagnant and you really love your routine, you like everything about it, then you have to ask yourself, am I failing to obey the Lord's call in my life because I am failing to make the necessary adjustments in my life? What needs to change in your life in order to follow the Lord? Maybe there's something you need to give up. But you can't have it both ways. Because this is the reality. If you're going to move from where you are to where God is calling you to be, surrender and dependence are essential. In Acts chapter 10, we read about some pretty amazing adjustments Peter had to make if the Gentiles were to receive the gospel. Peter's life was about to be shaken up. Peter was, was, coming, was going to encounter something that was going to cause him that he, to surrender and completely depend on the Lord. Because this was pretty radical. Beginning at verse 9 in chapter 10, it says that at 12 noon, Peter goes up on his roof to pray. You're probably familiar with the story. And while up there, he became very hungry and wanted to eat. But while lunch was being made, it says that he fell into a trance and saw heaven open. And a large sheet tied by the four corners being lowered to the earth. And on it were all kinds of wild beasts of the field, creeping things and birds, which were of the unclean variety. And then Peter, he hears a voice, which said, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. To which Peter responded, No, 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 not me, Lord. I, I have never eaten anything unclean. And then a voice said, what God has cleansed, you must not call unclean. This happened three times. Because obviously, Peter was having a hard time getting the message. This was difficult, as you can imagine. And shortly after this, while Peter was still pondering what just had taken place and what, does it, what, did it, what was its meaning... Three men who were sent from Cornelius' house were there at his house asking to see him. 
And before Peter could go and answer them, the spirit said to him, Behold, three men are at your door or seeking you. Go with them, doubting nothing. I have sent them. So Peter ends up going with them to Cornelius' house, and they receive the gospel, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and then are baptized. Now, understand something. This would have completely blown Peter's mind, blown him away. They're so steeped in a culture where you have these unclean Gentiles. They are far from God. They are far from his people. They are unable to draw near to God. They are as outside as you get. And until this point, they they don't even think or believe that salvation is going to go to the Gentiles. This is still not something that's, that's, that's filtered through their minds yet. This is hard to imagine. How can these people, you think of them, they're just told, they're the dogs. They actually called them dogs. They're the ones, these unclean people outside. And salvation is going to come. It's going to come to God's people, to Israel. And so you're so deeply steeped in this and enculturated in this thing, an us-them kind of a thing, and they're way far away from God. We are God's chosen people. And to touch them, to get near to them, is to become unclean yourself, and now I can no longer draw near to God. And what Peter just witnessed is that God, not only did they draw near to God, God drew near to them. Can you imagine? God, by the Spirit, he says, the Spirit filled them. I don't believe what I've just seen. Can you imagine? They didn't have to get circumcised and washed and come in before God actually went and dwelt in them. So to see the Spirit descending upon them, and Peter must have been blown away, and he must have been thinking of the vision, what God has made clean is clean. Don't question him. Wow. The Gentiles. God dwelt by just... Before they did anything, God dwells in them. And then they were baptized, receiving the sign of the covenant, blowing his mind. Peter, you've got to understand, this was a major shift, a major adjustment for Peter. This would have made him feel completely dirty and uncomfortable to, to pull off. To go to Cornelius' household to do this, he was probably looking. And we know Peter has a problem with this. And I'll... And I'll point you to where, why that's the case soon here. He would have been looking over his shoulder, wondering who was watching him, seeing if there was any Jews. One, like, I can't believe I'm doing this. The only reason I'm doing this is because I was commanded by the Spirit to go with them, and I saw this vision, and this is crazy, and I sure hope nobody sees me. And I know he was paranoid, because what does Paul do in Galatians? Who is the person he ends up rebuking for playing the hypocrite? It's Peter. He sees his fellow Jews coming, and he's at a table with Gentiles like, Woo, let me get out of here. I do not want to be seen with these Gentiles. So we know Peter struggles with this. This is a big issue. His life is called, he's called to surrender. He's called to depend completely on the Lord, to walk into a situation where he's, it's not just, he feels like within, socially, within himself, within his spirit, that it's unclean. This is, I'm dirty. I'm going to go get dirty. I'm going to go get, make, defile myself. I'm going to be the person who can't go draw near to God. I'm going to be the person who's going to be ostracized in the community. I can't go near the community. I'm going to be that guy. I'm going to be the guy I never wanted to be. I never thought I would be. Do you realize what Peter has to give up and sacrifice and surrender in order to do that? 
He's surrendering all. He's fully dependent upon God and his word. God revealed to him what he's supposed to do, and he went and he did it, and that was a difficult thing. He surrendered to the Lord. He depended on his grace. He had to die to himself. His comfort zone and his past prejudices had to, were, were being annihilated as he walked. Now, obviously, this is really, this is an extreme example. Not all, we're not called to this same kind of sacrifice because this was a unique situation. But at the same time, we're called, all of us, as God's people, he will call us to make adjustments in our lives, which will mean we must surrender ourselves. We must surrender uh, everything about us. We must surrender our agendas. We must surrender our will, and we must walk forward completely depending on the Lord. We have to give up our will and walk forward trusting God's grace. Just think, for example, this is just one example. When God calls us to disciple our children, and to teach them his ways, and we're to teach them day and night. We understand this makes Christian education a necessity. We understand this. So you're placed in a situation where you can't just dish your kids off to the public school and go do your own thing. It puts a burden on us, right? And it makes, makes you, you, requires you to make major adjustments in your life. You're going to feel in yourself the need for tremendous grace. You feel in yourself surrendering and dying to your plans, your dreams, and agenda in order to serve the Lord and do what you know he's called you to do. You don't do this because this is the easiest thing to do or the most pleasant way, right? Oh, what's the easiest, most pleasant thing I can do? It's not, it's not why you're doing it. You're doing it. When the Lord calls you and he calls you to do something, you do it because he's called you to do it. And so it means surrendering and dying to yourself. And it means walking forward, depending on the Lord for his grace and mercy to do it. Because it's beyond you. Therefore, when you think and feel that you can't do this, you are absolutely right. You can't. But you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And this is what I mean by dependence. You can't, but he can. And so now you have to understand, what does it mean to walk forward by faith? It means that as long as you go forward believing that Jesus is with you and will strengthen you, you go forward in his strength and energy. But if you go forward in your own strength, depending on your own energy, depending on your own wisdom, depending on your own resources, you'll fail. Or if you go forward doubting whether Jesus is competent or capable enough, you'll fail. You will be broken. You will be lost. You will be in desperate need of Jesus. But when you realize that you can't, you can't, and, and you also realize you can't just cry out to Jesus and, 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 and wait for him to get you out of bed. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me. You've got to understand something. That's not faith. Oh, Lord Jesus, help me is the right prayer. But faith is believing that he will. It's not how you move forward. 
You've got to believe. And in believing, you move forward with confidence, saying, why are you moving forward? You, because I know the Lord Jesus is with me. I know he will help me. He's promised. If God has spoken and God has promised and God has called, God will provide. But here's the thing. This is what we want, and this is where we get it wrong all the time. We consider this waiting on the Lord. I'm waiting for his strength. I'm waiting for his provision. I'm waiting. No, that's the wrong kind of waiting. What you, do, you shouldn't be waiting like that. You, he's already spoken. He's already declared. He's already promised. You need to actually go forward in faith believing, and as you do, as you believe, you receive. You know, something. Of, here's the thing about God. He never gives beforehand, right? And I we talked about this last week. You have to go forward believing and with confidence. You move forward confidence saying, you know, uh, I know I'm tired. I know I don't know what to do, but God's got all the strength in the world and he's got everything I need. I go forward and, and I know because he's promised that he's with me and he will supply all that I need. That's faith. This isn't faith. To lie in bed and to say, oh Lord Jesus, to get me out of bed. And I've prayed a lot. I've, I keep on praying. I ask for God's grace because I need it. I've surrendered and I depend upon him, but he doesn't seem to be showing up. Well, let me ask you a question. Have you walked forward in confidence, believing and knowing that he will supply what he's promised? Because that's the essential step. And there's a big difference between the two. As Christians, a lot of times, we, you know, we... We think we're acting in faith when we're, when we're acting in unbelief simply because we've prayed about it. To act in faith is to step forward and a lot of times into the unknown with nothing but a promise. I had this analogy last week and I'd forgotten to use it. Because the Christian life is very unique. It's not like being Superman where you can go into a, a telephone booth and put on your suit and know that you have all the strength and then jump off the building. The Christian life isn't like that at all. It's you have to jump off the building before you get the cape and the suit. Well, that's not very fair. That's faith. God says he gives you the promise and you look from beginning to end, from the very beginning of the scriptures, God tells his people, he commands, he calls, he gives a promise. And then what must they do? They must step forward. They must believe. And as they do, and as they obey, as they follow him, they receive what he's promised. And so it's important for us to understand that when I talk about surrendering and dependence, we must surrender our agendas, our wills, and everything about us, and we must walk forward in faith. This is where we depend, depending on the Lord, convinced that he will provide. Because one of the things that stops us what will stop us in our tracks is fear of the unknown, is, is the fear of, of everything that we've calculated in our heads. It's fear, it's fear, I'm afraid, I can't. I, well, this, and there's this, and there's that. And there, of course there is. But if you're going to follow the Lord, you've got to make major adjustments in your life, and he's going to ask you to walk into an areas where you're afraid. And when you walk there, and you're confident, you know that he's going to provide. You don't know how you experience some pretty amazing things in your life. You're a person who's got testimonies of God's faithfulness, of God's goodness, his power, and his presence. Have you experienced God in your life lately much? 
Well, maybe there's areas in your life where he's spoken to you and he's called you and he's telling you, you know what you're to do, but you've made all kinds of excuses and reasons why not to do it. You will not make the adjustments. You will not surrender. You will not depend on him because you refuse. Why? I'm afraid. You refuse. Why do you refuse? Because I don't know. I can't say. I, I don't have the strength. I don't this. I don't that. I don't this. I don't that. And we have every kind of excuse in the book, right? That's, that's unbelief. It's missing what God has for you. It's, you're, you will not receive the grace of God, the strength of God, the presence of God, and the power of God if that's how you live. Because you're trying to protect and maintain everything in your life and have everything just right and just so. But having said that, even after you have surrendered and cast your dependence upon the Lord, sometimes, and this is where I, you have to understand proper waiting, you might have to wait. Now let me explain what I mean by this, because there is a waiting that you might have to do. When I say wait, I don't mean wait for strength, like I was just speaking against. But wait for what it is God might be leading you to do next. Because sometimes God only gives us a partial revelation or partial plans and we're not exactly sure what he wants us to do completely. And because we don't have the full picture, we might have to wait upon him. And here's, here's a good example of what this is like and what this means. David was anointed and promised to be king when he was a young man. And by most commentators say he was 15 years old when he was anointed by Samuel. Josephus, the respected Jewish historian, said he was 10 years old. So by all accounts, he's young. But he did not take the throne until he was 30. So let's just say from 15 to 30, that's 15 years. 15 years of waiting and running. 15 years of a lot of time spending nights in a cave. Oh, Lord, what are you doing? Saul chasing you around, trying to kill you, take your life. And then when he becomes king at 30, it's another seven years before all the rest of the tribes unite around him. So 30, uh, sorry, uh, was it 15 and 7, 22, if my math's working, 22, 22 years of waiting in a lot of ways to receive the fullness of the kingdom that was promised to him. And so this, is, this can be like God as well, to give a promise or to give a call and then also have a season and a time of waiting and preparation. This is sometimes how the Lord will work. In our lives, God might be revealing to us what it is he wants us to do, and we're ready to make the adjustments. But then we have to wait before him to what to do next. God does this in many ways because he knows we need the preparation. He knows we need to learn or to follow him and not run ahead of him. We need to even learn to wait. What does it mean to wait? So God might have revealed to us that he wants us to be in a particular ministry or to do a particular ministry. But that's all we know for right now. God's really laid us on our, on our hearts, but we say we want to do this, this ministry to women. But that's all we know at this point. What do we do now? What do we do at that, that juncture? It doesn't mean that we should run off and do it immediately. It means we should wait, seek him, 
Seek others in the body as we've looked at. Seek their input. Pray about it. Allow God to work and to make it more clear. The hardest part about waiting is this. Is that we think that if we aren't obeying or doing or acting um, right away, we, we start to second-guess ourselves. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I was supposed to simply get started, and, and what I'm doing right now is, like, wrong-headed. Maybe I, I disobeyed somewhere, and God's not speaking to me any, anymore. Why has it gone silent? Why does it seem like God isn't directing me? I know one thing. I know part one, but I don't know part two and three. I don't even know how this fits together. I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do next. And sometimes we think, because I don't know what to do next, I think, well, maybe God's not in it. Maybe, maybe I misunderstood things. Maybe, uh, man, I hope that I haven't done something wrong. You know, maybe, maybe I should just get going and do something. No, these are all temptations to get us to stop from stop waiting. No, to get us to stop waiting. Can't even talk right. We don't have to worry. God will guide us and lead us. You don't have to worry about that. God isn't thinking, wow, I gave them all kinds of subtle hints, and they don't know what I'm saying. And I'm like, try more subtlety. No. no. Just as David knew that it was time to get on the throne because Saul was dead, and they placed him there, so will we. It's... It's, it's obvious. God, you know, if we don't get the, the subtlety, it increases. God makes sure. Even look at the case of Gideon as we looked at last week. With Gideon, he was always wondering and questioning and doubting, like, God, are you with me? And God was, he was kind, he was patient, and he would show Gideon what he needed to know. We don't want to be like Saul, however. Saul is a wonderful counterexample. He needed to wait for Samuel, but he bent to the pressure. He's supposed to wait for Samuel to offer the sacrifice. The people are getting antsy, wanting to leave it again. He's, in a, he's supposed to wait, but he's getting antsy. The people are getting antsy. He's like, oh, no, I better do something. I'm going to lose these people. Uh, let me just go ahead and do it. And because of his rash decision and he did not wait, he lost the kingdom. So a lot of times, you know, if God has us in a place where it seems quiet, it seems silent, we seem uncertain, what are we to do? Wait. Pray. Seek the Lord. Go after him. Talk to other people. But continue to wait, and he will make it clear. There's usually something we need to learn in the interim before we move forward. So the rule is, when in doubt... Don't. You need to wait. God will make it plain. Now, for some of us, it's not the waiting issue. It's what God has clearly revealed issue. We know God has called us to do something. Let's just say God is calling you to be hospitable. You know, I need to be more hospitable. But you know you can't because of, you have so many things that you need to get in line with your house and with your life. And you're like, oh, I, can't, I can't have people in this chaos. There's not a chance. So instead of making the adjustments and the changes that need to be made, you come up with reasons why you can't. 
And so instead of obeying God, you obey your flesh through cleverly made reasons that easily persuade you. However, in truth, what we really don't, you know what we don't want to do? We don't want to make adjustments. We don't want to make those changes. We don't want to do the work. We don't want to do that. We just want our lives the way they are. We want them safe. We want them orderly. And organized. Well, not the order. Order is a good thing. We just want them comfortable so that everything is just fits within my wheelhouse and doesn't stretch me. Because here's what we do as people. Have you ever stretched out and done something, feel like you got hurt a little bit, and then you pull your hand back? So you, and what do you do? What do you do? For, like, here's the lesson, the brightest lesson you could learn. I'll never do that again. That's the dumbest thing you could ever learn. You have learned the wrong lesson. You should look back and evaluate what happened and make changes, make adjustments so that you can learn and grow from that and move forward. But we're, we're, we're all weird that way. You think of every, everything in your life, look at, think of all the defense mechanisms you have. And every one is because you got stung somewhere and hurt somewhere and this is what you resolve. That will never happen again. And here's how it's never going to happen again. I'm going to form a wall, a barrier. Clever. Yeah. Pretty much solve that one. I never talk to people anymore. <laughs> I talked to a couple people and they embarrassed me and I was like an idiot. That's never going to happen again. That's what we do. And, we, and it, it's, we're the ultimate fools. Because we don't understand that those, that was actually a good experience. It taught us something that we should learn and grow from and make changes and make adjustments and move forward understanding now from, from that situation what we need to change, do differently. <laughs> Not never do it again. But that's what we do. That's what we're like. Because in reality, if we're going to follow God, it means we make adjustments. We can't stay where we are and keep doing what we're doing, doing the same things over and over, and think that somehow we can follow God with that method. We can't. We have to surrender and by faith move forward depending on him to give us what we don't have. See, people of faith walk into the face of fear. They could be trembling, they could be scared, they could be worried, but they're they're confidently going with a measure of confidence. You know, you know, it doesn't have to be full confidence. You're like, like this. But a measure of confidence, enough confidence that God will provide what you need. And they walk into it and they find God there as they depend on him. They find his presence, his power. They find that he strengthens, that he helps. So, so if you're going to experience God... And God calls you to do something, and then what, you're, you, what you do is you make all kinds of excuses why you don't want to do that, because it means making adjustments, it means walking forward, it means I might have to surrender my life, it means I might have to walk forward depending on his grace, depending on his promises. Then, then you retract from all that, and you get back and you live your safe little life. Because here it's like, ooh, I don't get scared, I don't have to be fearful, I don't, and it's comfortable, and all is good, and this is how I like it. Well, yeah, how's, how's your spiritual life doing? Oh, not very good. But at least I'm safe. Okay, if that's your goal, I guess you've got it. 
But if you want to follow God, it's going to mean adjustments. It's going to mean surrender. It's going to mean you have to walk forward believing that he will provide what it is you need in faith. And only there and only then will you experience God in ways that allows you to tell a story and say, listen, you guys aren't going to believe what God did for me. I went into this situation, and I was pretty freaked out. You know, you can boast in your weakness and how incapable you are, and then what you have is nothing but a great story and a boast in the Lord and how great he is. But that's not going to happen until you're willing to make the adjustments, surrender your life, move forward in faith, follow the Lord. Amen. Father, it's so easy for us to to seek the comfortable, to seek a life that's free of any kind of fear, any kind of discomfort, any, any kind of unknowns. You know our weakness and our frailty. I just pray that you would stir our hearts, every one of us here. You're calling us to do something. If your word clearly asks, if we're to even talk to somebody or we're to step out and be hospitable, if we're to do something with our children or with our spouse or with our neighbors or the people around us, and we know you're calling us, Father, I ask that you would stir us deeply, that we would understand that this is going to mean some changes, some adjustments. Help us to get that, Father. Help us to be these people that we would understand this. We would surrender and we would, in dependence upon you, trust, knowing that you're with us. You've, you've promised and this is the life you've called us to. Make us this people, Father, that we would be bold in faith, confident in your promises, and that we would experience you in glorious ways working through us. Amen.